Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday afternoon, actually. Uh, and I'm going to do an unusual talk today, I think. Uh, today's podcast is being sponsored by the Klatskos, Corinne Klatsko and her husband. Um, in memory, I see, of her husband's mother, Pessy Bas Mordechai, who died three years ago. She says her yard site is on the 12th day of Thomas, which is not long after my mother's yard site. I think on the 2nd and 3rd of Thomas. Uh, now this, uh, and by the way, First of all, thank you. Second of all, um, we're out of sponsors. <laughs> words, I'm glad that Corinne is uh, sponsoring today because of her and the Radomskis, and then I'm out. So we have like a, a dearth here, uh, you know, of uh, sponsorships. It's a little bit of a crisis. So I hope that will resolve itself in the next days. Um, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Corinne Klaska wrote me and she said, why are you always talking about Romanian Jews? And I was going to give an answer, but then I thought about it. <clears throat> and I said, you know, I mean, today's, um, I guess, Yomat's mood or running around that time anyway. And <clears throat> the question over here is, what's a good Jew? What's a bad Jew? What's essential Jews? Things like that. I have a wonderful um, piece here that I can share with you. Very interesting book in connection with Romanian Jewry and Hungarian Jewry, and um, Corinne's father, parents are Romanian, she said, they came from, uh, what's it now, uh, my maternal great-grandfather was from Husi, that's in the heart of Romania, and the grandmother's from Galatz, which was a very well-known town, big uh, port city, uh, near the, um, not far from the Black Sea. <clears throat> Most people don't know anything about the Romanian, Romanian Jews, unless you're from there, and maybe you know about your family, doesn't get a lot of play. And it's very interesting, uh, but very, very complicated. So I want to say a few words about that today. <clears throat> Romanian Jewry, in the context of greater questions, the better question is what makes a good Jew? Um, which is an interesting thing to talk about when you come to the controversial period of Israel's independence and the Amatsamut and all this kind of stuff. So here we go. There's a country called Romania, but it's had a very funny history. And it's so complicated, I can't even get on top of it because... There's the original Romania, even that was very uncomplicated. There are two provinces all the way in the eastern side of Europe. One's called Wallachia, Wallachia, one's called Mold Moldavia, or now they call Moldova. <coughs> My daughter lives from there, and well, sort of. And these are uh, territories in the north of the Balkans, which were sort of ruled by the Turks, but yes and no. In other words, they had their own, own Christian princes, and they were Jews living in these provinces way back when. Um, I mean, in the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, that sort of thing. And the modern country, Romania, didn't happen until like the 1800s, when the two provinces of Wallachia and Moldavia, you know, were joined together. It became a single kingdom. From day one, the problem in this kingdom was there was no middle class. So there's only the Jews. So you have a mass of peasants, you have the nobles, and um, 
All the middle class, they're all Jewish. The peasants were kept down, so not a man education. Uh, a very small, a regular middle class. And without <clears throat> going to too great Navarichas, suffice it to say that um, there was tremendous anti-Semitism uh, way back when in, in Romania, and especially in the 1800s, which was a time when other countries here were moving away from anti-Semitism, certainly in the legal sense. So I don't want to get too <clears throat> boring over here and too professorial. Just say there was a lot of anti-Semitism in this new country called um, uh, Romania. As far as the Yiddish guide is concerned, the, 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 there was a small number of original Romanian Jews, and then a whole bunch of Jews moved there in the 1800s, mainly from like Hungary, Austria, from uh, Russia, those kind of places. A lot of Ashkenazi Jews. You also had some Turkish Jews there when the Turks were ruling. So it's a mishmash. It's a chant. And if you went to Bucharest, it was Mamasha chant. That's the capital city. It's Mamasha chant. Different types of Jews. Uh, the matzah of Yiddishkeit, as far as Frum is concerned, was always bad. And I talked about this when I mentioned the Malbim some time ago, because he was like a classic case of a bad shidduch. The mom was a great gadol, and he came to a place where Judaism is not practiced according to halachic norms. Um, and it freaked him out, and if you remember, his own balabatim told on him to the government, got him arrested and thrown in a dungeon and so forth. So Romania is a crazy place. <clears throat> okay, that's the mise-en-scene. Now, um, specifically, I, I have something in mind to, to share with you. There's a uh, book, a wonderful book I have, safer book, called Olam Shalaba, World of the Father. It's in Hebrew. And it's, um, I guess, the memoirs of somebody who used to be a rabbi, a rov, in Hungary, in Transylvania, uh, for many years, like a uh, non-Hasidic Hungarian rov, which is called Oberland, or, you know, Ashkenazi rov, although not in the Oberland, it's in Transylvania, the eastern side of Hungary. And... Uh, I'll say it again. This is somebody like, more like a Pressburg type individual, which Sam um, Sofer. Now there were a lot of differences, and a lot of um, between Hungarian Hasidic Judaism, Orthodox, and Hungarian non-Hasidic Judaism, Orthodox. There were extremes, but generally speaking, since the Reform movement and all that business rose in the 19th century, the differences between the Hasidim and the non-Hasidim in Hungary were much much less since they figured they have to unite against the uh, non-from. That's the whole thing in a nutshell, in a, in a very short form. Okay, now, I'm going to be handicapped over here because I know most of my audience, even though some protest, don't know history and definitely don't know geography. I can't help that. If you're interested in what I'm saying today, you'll Google, you know, Europe, look for a map of Europe in 1900 or something like that. And um, you'll see that prior to the First World War, there was a big kingdom called Hungary, which was part of Austrian Hungarian Empire, but it was independent. And again, I've spoken about this many times, but like I said before, I know some people hop and some people won't. So there used there's a it was a big kingdom of Hungary, much bigger than Hungary today. Much, much bigger. There are historical reasons. And this kingdom Hungary included what we have today, Hungary, and uh this big province of Transylvania, which is quite big, and other parts and, when, and all this was lost to Hungary after the First World War. Because, and listen closely to what I'm saying, the Hungarians made a bad bet, and they bet on the wrong side, which lost the First World War. Because they were on the wrong side of the First World War, they lost all their territory. Romania, which is next door, they bet on the right side, 
who's going to win. And because they bet on the right horse, they tripled their country. You know, get it? So getting it right, or who's going to win, who's not going to win, is like burned into the uh, memory of the Hungarians and the Romanians. The Romanian guy played this uh, a game better than the Hungarians did because the Hungarians lost their Medina and are bitter about it till today. I forget how they say in Hungary, but there's still a slogan, never, no, no, nem, nem, hush, or something like that. <laughs> they'll, they'll never get over it, right? It's like if America was as big size America, and then after all the wars are over, all you have left is New England. They're freaking out, you understand? <clears throat> they're freaking out. But it's because they bet on the wrong horse, and therefore they were screwed over by the victors after the First World War and the treaties of Versailles. Okay, now, this kingdom of Hungary, which was there for a long time, had... 800,000 Jews, that's a lot, okay? It included what we call today Hungary, and as I said before, Transylvania, Slovakia was part of Hungary, um, a big part of what we call today Serbia was part of Hungary, and all these places had Jewish populations, you see? So uh, I think Croatia was part of Hungary. All these places had Jewish populations. So in conglomerate altogether, it was close to a million. That's very big. And the way... Hungary, Hungarian Jewry developed, and I did this not too long ago when I did a podcast about the Ksavsofer, was that the, uh, there was a get, a divorce, between the from and the not from, for the most part. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons, and you'll listen then if you're interested, or you read Jacob Katz's book, Hakar Shalom Nesacha, and um, the Reform and the Orthodox really came to loggerheads, and by the time it's over, in 1870 or so, uh, the Hungarian passed a law in which they said there are two types of Judaisms, A and B. One is called Judaism, the other one is called Orthodox Judaism. And wherever you were in Hungary, there were two Kahilas, or very many places, and, you know, like Samson Raphael Hirsch. In fact, Hirsch copied the Hungarian model. If you want to get down and dirty in the details, he may have inspired the Hungarian model, but I won't go into that now. Yep, you can read Jacob Katz's book on that. Now, um... The result, one of the results of this was the following. If you went, and this is the time of Franz Josef, the famous emperor that the Hungarian Jews, the Polish Jews are still looking back to with nostalgia, okay? But there's a reason. During this time, so it's 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s, down to the First World War, in some respects even earlier. So, um, what was Hungary? Well, first of all, first of all, for a whole bunch of reasons, the economy shot through the roof. So Hungary, basically, they gave the Jews complete total civil rights, and the Jews, together with the Goyim, you know, really did a capitalist, you know, uh, supernova. The Hungarian economy, I forget, I think it was 10% growth rate every year. It was incredible. So the country developed unbelievably. And if you go today to Budapest and places like that, you can see the signs. These parliament buildings and all this other junk was built in a time of tremendous prosperity, okay? In Hanami, the peasants were at the bottom of the pole, but the Hungarian peasants were better off than peasants elsewhere, simply because of a trickle-down economics. You understand? So if you went in Hungary, in, let's say 100 years ago, or 110 years ago, before the First World War, it was neat, it was organized, uh, it was clean, relative, relatively clean. It's not what somebody thinks, you know, the Hungary is Eastern Europe, blah, blah, blah. They're very westernized, okay? It's just just interesting, okay? Now, um, the Judaism uh, uh, copied that. Uh, 
because there had been a sharp political division between the Orthodox and the non-Orthodox, so that means that after 1870 or so, 1871, everywhere where they could, the Frum tried to organize a separate Kehillah. So if they're able to do it, by definition, the people who join that Kehillah are self-selecting. They're saying, we care about Frumkite, we care about Orthodoxy. I don't say every single one of them was a Shem or Shabbos, because interestingly, that was not the case. However, the people would say like this, if there is a Kehillah, it should be run according to the Jewish law. What I do myself is my own business. I think I told you the famous story of Hildesheimer, who was approached by a non-from community. They should, they should send him an Orthodox rabbi. He said, why do you want an Orthodox rabbi? You yourself, not one person in town, Shabbos. And they said very famously, the, pass- <laughs> the passengers can be drunk, but the driver, the coachman, must be sober. Okay? So, therefore, the reason I'm mentioning this is that the Yiddishkeit was very Masudr in Hungary, more than any other place I know. So if you went in the Kingdom of Hungary um, before 1914, in this period, there's a Kehillah, it's the Orthodox Kehillah, there's a Rav, you follow the Rav, if he says this is kosher, it's kosher. If he says it's not kosher, it's not kosher. End of discussion. You understand? If he says this thing is permitted, I'll be din, it is. If he says it's not, it's not. He's the final word. You get it? I don't say there weren't fights, but the rub was a rub. And the kill was organized. There's a lot of kashras. Boom. And the mikvah. And the erov. And, you know, the, what do you go, the Gimel Chassan organization, the Chavar Kadisha. Things are Masudr. And the shul is a clean place. And the, the books are in the right order. So in other words, what you associate with the Yekish, you can, this will surprise people, you can totally uh, uh, apply to the Hungarians. And wherever the Hungarian Kehillah, and even today, to be perfectly honest, there's a basin, you know what I'm saying? It's, a, it's organized from top down. There's a right way, there's a wrong way, and it's very Masudr, okay? And the country ran like that, right? Hungary is a very interesting place. I don't think most people are familiar, why would they be, with the history of Hungary after 18, between 1867 and the First World War. It's a very, very interesting thing to study because they really shot through the roof. So the Yiddishkeit was very uh, organized and the fights were within Hungary between, the let's say, the Orthodox and Reform, something like that, the Neolog. But within each machna, according to what they held important, it was it was a uh, Masudr. All right, now I'm going to switch the scene to Romania, which is the kingdom next door. It's much less organized, much less economically developed, much more primitive, is a dirty, you understand? The government was a joke, meaning as unbelievably corrupt. Now there was a certain corruption in Hungary also, but much less. Okay, in Romania, that's what the old famous joke. Bismarck said, "Romania is not a country; it's a profession." As a kindlan, as as kindlan, as is fuck. You know, it's it's a profession, and there are a million jokes about that. Uh, you know. This one, the Hungarian will, the Romanian will really deliver. The Hungarian and the, and the Romanian will both sell the mother, but the Romanian will deliver. All these things come from, <clears throat> from that time. Now, it, why that is, has to go back with the Turks. You know, it's, it's not necessary to go into, not for our purposes now. Now, here's what I want to t- share with you. <clears throat> so I have in front of me right now a book, which is called Olam Shalabo, which is the memoirs. They're wonderful, by the way. I won't say they're 100% accurate, a certain amount of nostalgia, but what do you want? 
And it's a book of a couple hundred pages. It's uh, about 500 pages in Hebrew. Very nice Hebrew, too. Sipuri Zichronos Arabonim Kehillus. And it's uh, this guy was, like I say, a rub in Hungary. I think Fokshani, I think, which uh, later became Romania. I believe that's where Salma Meshachter is from. And, uh, but I, it could be somewhere else. And uh, uh, he was a rov during the transitional period. Was a, I believe he was born 1880, something like that. So I figure he's graduating Pressburg, which is the headquarters of the non -Kassidim. Oh, you know, 1905, 1910, something like that, you know. And became a rov in a certain Kehillah in Transylvania, which is in the eastern part of the kingdom of Hungary, but was Hungarian, and the Yiddishka was Hungarian. Everything's organized in Masuda and all the rest of it. In Hungary, all the Orthodox uh, communities were organized in a national federation. They had a central office, like a little Sanhedrin, you know. Uh, they had the five, the fifth. Um, in Budapest, the, the what they call Landes Kanzlei, the, the, the national chancellery. We would say today the central uh, office of the Hungarian organizations, what they lobby with the government. It was pretty well organized, <clears throat> okay? But I'll say it again. What you imagined by the Yekas really was more accurate by the Hungarians in this period, which surprises people. Okay, now, um, then came the First World War. Now, um, by the time, First World War is 1914-1918. As I said before, Hungary was part of the Central Powers, part of Germany. And therefore, Hungary or Austria-Hungary lost a war. And Skipping all the details, by the time the Allies finished, they did major surgery in Hungary and gave most of it away to the neighbors. So they gave Slovakia to the new Czechoslovakia, they gave the southern part to what they call Yugoslavia, and they gave a big part to Romania. So Romania, which which had fought on the side of the Allies. So one of the things that happened was Romania, I don't know if they tripled, but close to it. They Romania was given Transylvania, I hope I haven't confused you, so all these Ungarische Jews, including Sotmer and Kloisenberg and places that you consider classic Hungarian, um, found themselves after 1919, 1920 in Romania. There's a famous photograph, by the way, of the Sotmerov uh, when he was much younger, uh, greeting and shaking hands with the king of Romania. What the heck is the Sotmerov who's Hungarian and Kamohu? Sotmer is Hungarian, baby. And what's he doing with the king of Romania? No, because actually Sotmer was located politically in a country called Romania after the First World War. So Franz Josef screwed up. <clears throat> he died in the middle of the war. His uh, grandson or whoever it was paid the price, and Hungary fell apart. And all these Jews now found themselves part of Romania. So when we talk about Romanian Jewry, we find ourselves with the following problem. What part of Romania are you talking about? Now, this is very confusing to American listeners. You know, I can't help it. What can I do? This is the history. Since I was asked by Romania... This is the history. There's a very big difference, therefore, if you're talking to me about Romanian Jews, you mean people from Transylvania, because then they're actually Hungarian Jews, you get it, who found themselves through no fault of their own with the border change. And it's a lot of Jews like that. As I said before, just think of, uh, you know, uh, Grossverdine and uh, Sotmer and Kloisenberg, all these places. I mean, these are very important Jewish communities, as you know, and many, many others, Oradea, Mike, you know, plenty. Okay, lots. Now they found themselves in a new country. Now, let me tell you something. They were Hungarian-speaking. They grew up like that. One of the things that happened to the Hungarian Jews in the 19th century, even the frumest that are from, was they learned Hungarian, which is something, and they taught Hungarian. Uh, 
Sometimes, as we'll see, they spoke Hungarian, didn't know Yiddish anymore. Same way with Orthodox Jews in America who understand English and not and speak in English and don't know Yiddish. Uh, or Ivrit, at least. Now, uh, these are just interesting cultural developments, each one of which you could spin off and talk for two hours in each subject. I'm not kidding. You know, there's a lot to talk about all this. But I have to pace myself and limit myself. Um, especially where I want to go today. Now, uh, by the way, I'm not done. There are other parts that Romania conquered as a result of First World War. Because it wasn't only that they added Transylvania, they also added or recovered Bessarabia, which has Kishinev and all this stuff, which is all the way in the north. And Bukovina, you probably never even heard of it, unless you yourself come from Chernowitz, uh, which is where the you know, the Sadiger is and all that. So, Romania picked up a lot of Dabruja from Bulgaria. Like I say, I can't, you know, bore you to death with the Balkan War results. The, uh, it's interesting to me. All this stuff is interesting to me. But I always have to pinch myself. It's not interesting to everybody else. Now, um, listen closely. So, if you're a Hungarian Rav, especially an Orthodox Rav, all of a sudden your whole world changes around. Suppose Baltimore all of a sudden became part of Russia. You understand? Or part of Mexico or something like that. Um, it would be remarkable. I mean, it'd be freaky. That's how they felt. They said, oh my God, now we're part of Romania? Those barbarians, those primitives? I vague. Hungary was considered, like I say, such a cultural country and at the top of the food chain and uh, at the amazing economy and uh, part of the West, it was as much part. They thought England, France, Hungary. You know what I mean? Like that. Not the way we think of Hungary, Romania, and Pupunia, Ruritania, whatever like that. You know, with Rudolf Rassendil. No, it wasn't like that. They considered very Western and um, very modern. And all of a sudden, they're part of Romania. Now, from the Yiddish guy perspective, it's very fascinating. Because the guy who wrote this book, whose name was Rabbi Ashantra Miller. That was his name. He was the Rav, what's it say in the front page? Av Basin Petrushan. Okay, that's where he was. Petrushan in Transylvania. Um, <clears throat> and it's a big memoir <clears throat> of communities or Abunim and things like in Hungary. And he's pretty honest. I mean, you know, I must say, there's a lot I could spend hours and hours and hours talking and reading from the book, and all of it would be interesting. But I realize, you know, that time is always limited. Uh, so let me get to my point. He has a passage over here that I read many years ago. And made a big impression on me. And I said it, spoke it out when I was in Hungary a couple of years ago, before the COVID, you know, before the corona. We did a trip. And one of the places we were at was in Budapest, where we got to go to the two big synagogues that are left, the uh, the Neolog Shul, the Reform, as you'd call today, although it's not exactly Reform, but uh, in uh, whatever the street was, the Dohaniuts, I think. And um, and then the Orthodox Shul, the Kaczynski Shul, which was connected. And I think I spoke this in the in the in the worst actual. Now, uh, see so here, I'm reading this book of memoirs, and he says, "Okay, all of a sudden comes 1918, 1919, and this guy was a rob in the community, close to 40 years old, and it was a Hungarian Oberlander type community, non Hasidic, and." Uh, what do you call it? Now he finds himself in a new Medina. Like I say, Baltimore is no longer part of the United States. It's part of Mexico. Or as far as they're concerned, it's part of uh, Colombia, Peru, you know. So uh, what do you do now? So I had to go and uh, and um, take care of all the bureaucratic junk 
who's in charge of Orthodox Judaism in the new place in Romania, and how are we going to work out these relationships and whatever. And so he says, Bishnas Tafresh Pei, when the battles were over, Nosati Pamrishon of Bucharest. So I had to travel from what used to be Hungary now to Bucharest, the cap not Budapest, Bucharest. For those of you who really don't know anything, Budapest is the capital of Hungary, Bucharest is the capital of Romania. Um, now, Nosati Pamrishon of Bucharest, Gede Levaker Bemisra the total Hadzir Tipulmina, had to speak to the Ministry of Religion. And organized the you know like we say today the political side of the Jewish community, and Osatra Kevis Esenbar Shos and I traveled, took me twenty four hours on the train, which means that the Romanian trains are very slow, and Lecholor Chaderch Roshan built the Kilan Yosef Misrabinayim, and as I traveled farther and farther into Romania, I felt I was traveling farther and far into the Middle Ages. Instead of, instead of Hungary, where everything was clean and neat and organized, and the, 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 the what do you call it, the villages were clean, and the fields looked well-tended. Everywhere I passed down into Romania, I saw poor villages. Everywhere is lousy houses, shacks, dumps. primitive, built by real primitive peasants, barefoot, you see them uh, plowing the fields, even the horses look sick dogs, you know, and things like this. And then, he gets into Bucharest itself, the capital, which he says, is full of mud, there was no electricity, uh, they had uh, horses doing whatever all over the street, you know, and most people walk around the street barefoot, and he said, what to happen? What happened to me, right? And uh, there's a river going through it, like a Nachal Cotton, which is uh, like a cesspool right in the middle of the city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? So it's, a, it's a, what we take called, called culture shock. But then he meets the Jewish community in Bucharest and then in Romania, Bechlal. And this is a Hungarian Rav who was educated in Pressburg Yeshiva. There's a Dal Chalkeshokhanarach. In Hungary, I told you, at least in front community, everything was Kedasa Kedin. Kedasa Kedin. Right? And now you come over here and everything is the reverse of Kedasikadin. And it goes pages and pages. I wish I had the time, and I don't have the time to read you these pages. I would have a lot of fun and so would you. Maybe sometime when we have a, uh, a different occasion, maybe I will. Um, I don't know. Everything was the reverse of Kedasikadin. You have Hasidic Rebbe's who, who he trade for order, you know, or Michal Shabbos, he's <laughs> freaking out, you know? Uh, you have Chazonim, and uh, the guy who's helping next door is his brother-in-law who's not Jewish, you know, singing the choir, and then um, he's got, you know, people, <laughs> people walk in the middle of davening, uh, because there, by Romania, he says, the big thing is the Kaddish, you know, what is it Miss Kaddish. So a guy walks in the middle of, of davening on Saturday morning, in a big shoal, and uh, let's say they're holding, I'm just making it up. Let's say they're holding by Chazor uh, Zashat. <laughs> he doesn't care. He walks in and he says, Yes, God, I'll be yes, God. He says out loud. And then, then he takes out a wallet and gives all gives the God by the money. You're right on Saturday morning, you know. And he gives uh, the schnars in the nearby. And it's, it's, it's this for a rub. He's like freaking. You know what I'm saying? You can imagine what the shrita is like over there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he says, the Kashrus was so notorious, even the best Kashrus was so notorious in Bucharest. He said, the Satmarov once, you know, Rabbi Yoel, once 
who was like exactly like this guy. He had to go to Romania to book arrest in 1920, you know, to arrange things with the Romanian government. And he went with his Hasidim, and they say like this, we will bring our own food from Satmar, so be kosher. And he said, I'm not eating no fleshics. Why? We're bringing it from Satmar, from your own shrita. He says, I don't want it ever said the Satmarov ate fleshics in Romania. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like saying, you know, it's like saying, I saw him eat at McDonald's. You, get it? you know, that's how bad the kashras was. And the mikveh, you can imagine, and this and that and the other. He's got case after case after case. Oh, my Lord. You know, uh, and everything is the reverse of the of the, of the Shulchan Aruch. Let's put it that way. Okay. And the Amaras is unbelievable. And he, he, I'll just share one more. Simply, Shabbat basic Knesset. Shehikar Yehudah Mekadosh Erebavokar. There was a certain guy that said Kaddish all the time when his father died. Okay. But when his mother died, he wouldn't say Kaddish. And he said, why? He said, I like my father. I didn't like my mother. So my father wanted to get in Ghanada. My mother could go to hell. <laughs> so I'm not saying Kaddish to her. Because when you say Kaddish, you'll go to heaven. And, you know, I don't want him in the same place. Uh, this is the mentality. It knows everywhere you go, it's a certain um, primitiveness, shall we say. And I told you before, he's describing the Hasidic Sherebbes over there. And they're not like the Hasidic Rebbes in Hungary or Poland, where everything's super from. And to be a Hasid means, typically, be a Hasid means you look at the Rebbe as a role model. You try to model your life like he does, which means, therefore, it's for greater frumkite. You get it? The Rebbe davens long, so you daven long. The Rebbe's makbed on kashras, so you're makbed on kashras, and so forth and so on. He says in, in, in Romania, everybody had a Rebbe, but nobody kept anything. You just go, and you go to the Rebbe to get a bracha, you go to the Rebbe to talk over, you know, if... If you have a, a business problem, a family problem, uh, you know, things like this, the Rebbe's never tell you you're doing anything wrong, and you always give him money. This is, I'm telling what he's saying, okay? So he is like freaking out, because that's not what Hasidus was elsewhere, okay? But, you know, Romania is a different story. And on and on and on, he's got cases like this after another. And the, the main Orthodox show, the, the the guy who gives the drush every morning is the official chief rabbi who's a reform rabbi. The only thing is, Friday night, he dresses up in a reform outfit and gives a speech with an organ at the at the temple. And Saturday morning, he puts on a black suit <laughs> with a white shirt and a big uh, uh, talus, and he gives another speech by the, by the Orthodox show. Everything is driving him crazy, okay? Now, um, let's see over here. He, he, he meets a guy in the train. I mean, there's so many stories. I don't know what to pick. He meets a guy in the train, and the guy seems from, and when he, he what he called he um, has breakfast, so uh, he washes his hands. He says, and he benches. He does everything right. Excuse me, excuse me. And then a few hours later on the train, when he's at lunch, he doesn't wash or anything like that. And he says, "What's going on?" He says, "My wife. He says, I'm not from. My wife keeps kosher. So breakfast she prepared for me. Since the food is kosher, so I." I uh, keep all the kosher laws, and I uh, bench, and I do the TLC dime and all the rest of it. Lunch I bought at the store is trafe, so why should I? <laughs> why, why, why should I bench? You know, why should I wash? Uh, so over and over again, he has these <clears throat> kind of stories, which I again take pages and pages and pages. And the bottom line is, he paints a very bleak picture of Orthodox Judaism, shall we say, halachic Judaism, uh, in Romania down to the uh, Second World War in the 20s and 30s, uh, certainly beforehand. And, uh, you know, 
the 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 little attempts to try to set up schools and yeshiva, he he really gives a thumbs down on them. <clears throat> okay, now if that was it, this took about twelve pages, maybe fifteen pages of stories and accounts one after another, all which show what we would call today a culture shock. Because this is the Orthodox, this is the from, that's the from Eigewalt, okay? But that's what it's a culture shock. And again, I repeat, you're going me, me Igor Ramla Beramikta, you're going from Hungary where everything was just so, exactly Kadasa Gadin, at least within the confines of the Orthodox community, and they go to the reverse. <clears throat> okay, like a Hefkeris, shall we say, a chaos. Now, but then comes something very, very interesting. Because this person went through the Second World War. And now, I have to just give you a tiny bit of history, which I really would advise you to Google this. The maps. Uh, now we go to World War II. And it's very uh, weird. There were these two countries, Hungary and Romania, among others. And uh, the politics is very complicated. Um, but... These were kings in Romania and there was tremendous anti-Semitism in the 1920s and 30s. <clears throat> and the kings, you know, this is a, this is a little bit like a, a comedy almost. I don't want to go through all there was King Charles I and then Ferdinand and then Charles II, Carol, and Carol ran off with a, a, a Jewish mistress. She wasn't exactly Jewish. They all said she was. Actually, her mother, Magda Lepesco, her, actually her mother was a guy, but whatever. The king, you know, resigned like Edward the in, in, with the Wall of Simpson, and then what he called. Then he came back three years later, and I, it's too complicated to explain. It's Romania. What can I tell you? You know, the politics was nuts. I'll say only this: that um, Hitler was at that time, and Second World War was about to start up. And the question is, which way is Romania going to go? Now, um, I repeat. They had played their cards right in the First World War. And because they played poker right, so Romania tripled, right? As opposed to Hungary, who played it wrong. Hitler became the big power in Europe. Um, but there's the Soviet Union also, Stalin, which is bordering on Romania. Now, um, which way is Romania going to go? There was a huge anti-Semitic party, I think called the Iron Wolf or something like that, which which was basically trying to be the Nazi party of Romania. Let's put it that way. And uh, these guys would shecht every Jew, and that is not an exaggeration on my part. But before they would shecht them, they would roast them and bake them and, and do horrible things to them. But there was also Romanian nationalists who are anti-Semitic, but not as anti-Semitic as the Nazis, the Romanian Nazis. Now, when I say not as anti-Semitic, the Nazis, you give A+. Plus. These guys, you give a B+. Plus. B+, plus, A-, minus is still pretty bad, as far as the Jews are concerned. Uh, by the time the politics went the way it did, uh, a, an army general named General Antonescu um, became the dictator. Uh, within the crazy politics of Romania, Antonescu was better than if the Nazis had taken over, than the Iron Wolf or Iron Guard, whatever they call him. Uh, because they would have gone and shechted everybody, and he only wanted to shecht 50%. So the way Hungary worked out was 
in World War II, very strange. In certain parts, the new parts, I repeat, the new parts, and I mean specifically the northern parts, what I spoke before, Bessarabia and Bukovina, the parts near Russia that Hungary had acquired after, I'm sorry, the Romania acquired after the First World War. I hope I haven't confused you. <clears throat> there, the Romanians were unbelievably brutal, much worse than the Nazis. In fact, the Germans couldn't get over it. Uh, they killed uh, 100,000, 200,000, a lot of Jews, and in the most horrible ways. They threw naked women and children into pits full of rats and mice. They did, I, I'm not going to tell you, you'll throw up. I'll say it again. They put people in hooks. They did things worse than the than the Hitler. Uh, so if you lived in that part, like Kishinev or whatever, or later they invaded and did it to Odessa, which was nearby, then God have mercy on your soul. So for a big chalik of the Romanian Jews located in those areas that I just described, it was a hell. However, what about the other parts of Romania? nearer to home, the central part of Romania, Moldavia, Wallachia, and especially Transylvania, these areas I just described. So here's something very interesting happened. Uh, the dictator was General Antonescu, and he was fine with everything I just described a minute ago in terms of the brutality. <clears throat> so he was a sick dog. On the other hand, he was a funny guy. He was a Romanian nationalist, and he made no bones about it. And he said to Hitler, he said, I'm going to back you because I think you're going to win the war and I want, I want my country to benefit by being on the side that wins the war. And Hitler said, that makes sense to me. He knows I respect that. I'm a German. I'm worried about Germany. You're a Romanian. You were about Romania. Uh, that, that's good. And so Hitler and, and, and Antonescu really respected each other. And what's the most important part for Hitler was that Romania was where he got all the oil. They were to go plastic. So that's a place where they had all the oil. So Hitler desperately needed Romania on his side and a calm and happy during the war, which they were. And in addition to that, Hitler said, listen, we're both anti-communists and let's, I'm going to war against Stalin, a secret attack. If Romania joins me, you'll get a big piece of land from Russia, from Ukraine. And Antonescu said, fine, because... As Romania, as Romania wants to conquer territory, added to Romania. And he did. The, the, the Romanian army was one of the big halakim of the Hitler invasion force when he attacked Russia in 1941. They had 600,000 Romanian soldiers. That's a lot. And the Romanians were good fighters. After all the jokes are over, they were good fighters. And the reason Romania did that because they thought Hitler would win the war. They'd be on the right side. Now, for Hungary did the same thing. Hungary did the same thing. They calculated Hitler's going to win, and therefore they allied themselves with Hitler. I want to repeat, neither the Hungarians nor the Romanians were in love with Germany. They just wanted to be on the right side because they saw in the First World War, whoever gets on the right side will be Maslich when the war is over. Whoever's on the wrong side will lose when the war is over. Um, now, between the two countries, Hungary and Romania... Talking about that million and a half Jews, it's a lot of people. Now, so in other words, that's what matters to us with all this. Now, for a whole bunch of reasons, Hitler wanted to reward Hungary, um, and which was even closer to him in some respects than Romania. And so 
he gave a chalik of Transylvania to Hungary, like a finger. So if you looked at a map of uh, Europe in, uh, I don't know, 1941, let's say, uh, Central Europe, you'll see, and you compare it with a map of Europe today, you'll see that Hungary was like doubled. <clears throat> they got a, a slice of Transylvania back, the part that had a Hungarian population. Uh, so during the war years, what I'm saying is very important, otherwise I won't bore you with all this. Uh, in the years 1940, 41, 42, 43, and 44, <clears throat> which those years of the Holocaust, so a like a finger, a slice of territory, uh, like a, a index finger sticking into Romania was given back to Hungary. So it means it's not part of Romania, it's part of Hungary. That would include, by the way, Sotmar and Kleisenberg and many other places like that. Uh, now, the way the war worked out was that Hungary was safe for the Jews until 44, but then in 44, Hitler came in and killed half the Hungarian Jews. One, two, three. Um, notice, he's, he's, he, as we all know, he started deporting them. Some of you listening may have relatives who were just taken straight to Auschwitz starting in April, May, right around now, of 44, and it was he killed one, two, three. It's a sad story. Uh, when the, because Hungary was occupied by the German army. On the other hand, but Hungary was not occupied by Germany until 44. So until 44, you were sa safe. Now, what do I mean safe? I'm talking about safe in terms of the Holocaust. All these countries had anti-Semitic laws, and all these countries had uh, Xeris, and all these countries had things Jews could be beat up here and there and whatever. I'm talking about mass extermination, deporting to the concentration camps and killing in gas chambers over. Right? See, so those places that were unlucky, they, they fell into that, like the Hungarians. Romania didn't happen. Isn't that funny? After the initial round of horrible um, atrocities that I just described a few minutes ago, the dictator of Romania, Antonescu, General Antonescu, said, must speak, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not going to do that to the Jews that live in, in, in Romania proper, like in Bucharest and Moldavia and Wallachia and central Hungary. These people have been part of the Hungary, not that it was added to Hungary, from Russia, but they've been part, I'm sorry, I keep saying Hungary, I mean, these are people added to Romania, I apologize, not from the uh, parts that were added to Romania after the first world from Russia, the Brest Arabia, but this is the part of, let's call it Icaromania, the Jews living in Icaromania, I don't want to give them over to Hitler, not yet, anyway, now, this is a long story, and it's a very fascinating story, and the Jews, the Jewish leaders in Romania, um, they had a 30-year-old chief rabbi, uh, Rabbi Shafrin, some of us might remember him, uh, uh, who was very well educated. He was a from guy. Mo I would say modern Orthodox, and uh, but he was an Orthodox. He, you know, his father was a big rob, and uh, you know, he knew how to learn. But mainly, he was uh, he had a PhD from uh, what he called Vienna, and he knew the Romanian language very well, and he knew how to appeal to Romanian big shots, and. The main guy was the head of the Jewish Federation. I'd say what you say today, the head of all the, 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 secu the secular head of the Jewish, of the Jews of Romania, Filderman, a guy named Filderman, who had gone to high school with General Antonescu. And something. And Filderman was a big lawyer. And he stepped up to the plate. He wasn't a from guy, but he was a Yiddish Yid. And this is a story that most people don't know. And they went to everybody that was a big shot in uh, Romania. And basically, they said like this. You don't know who's going to win the war. Um, actually, as the war was progressing, it's already Germany, 
versus Russia, England, and America. I mean, do you honestly think Hitler's going to defeat and conquer the British Empire, the USA, and Russia? You know, start making some simple calculations. Because remember, if you make the mistake of being on the wrong side, okay, if you make the mistake of being unpopular with whoever wins the war, Romania's going to get screwed and you're going to lose land the way Hungary made that mistake in the First World War. That's the kind of Lashonas that a guy like Antonescu can understand. Okay? He was no tzaddik. But, but they, they played him as well as they could. Uh, this is a debate for graduate school. You know, did they appeal to his better instincts or to, or to his, his uh, nationalistic thing? Doesn't matter. All I can say is that um, they were matzliach. Uh, they worked day and night. I want to tell you something. The Queen... Uh, was it Queen Elizabeth? I forget. The, the Queen of Romania. That was the... the, the uh, it's too complicated. King Michael's mother, whatever. Uh, she she uh, backed the Jews. No, she said to Antonesco, this is a, a crime. Hitler's trying to make you a, a partner in the crime of killing all the Jews. And um, if you do this, uh, you know, when the, when the war's over, you're going to be a war criminal. Uh... And it, it, all I can tell you is it worked, okay? Because um, Antonescu refused when Hitler said, give me the Jews and send them to the gas chamber. He wouldn't do it. Now, you can't say he was a friend of the Jews. You can't say he was a nice guy. Because look at the horrible things I just described before, or I declined to describe before, <laughs> what he did in northern uh, Romania, in the, you know Bessarabia, Transnistria, and Odessa and all that. They did horrible, horrible things to the Jews. He drove people around for days and days till they all died. It was just terrible. But on the other hand, when it came to the main body of the Jews in the country, they survived the war. So what I'm telling you is like this. If you're a Jew and living in Budapest in Hungary, you probably got killed or you hid for your life in the Second World War. Many, Most got killed. If you look in Bucharest, they all survived the war. Now, they didn't know this. And all during the war... I'm talking about 40, 41, 42, 43, and 44. They literally were Makayim. Baboker, Yomar, Mitein Erev, Miber, Mitein Boker, Mipachel, Lobovcha, Asher, Tevchad, Mimar, Necha, Asher, Tereh. You know, they were in constant terror. And the truth is, at any minute, Antonescu could have changed his mind. You know, he thought about it. The Jews in Bucharest and their main cities, Romania, Galatz, where Corinne Klatsko's uh, ancestors were, uh, they were scared to death. And the government was anti-Semitic, all the rest of it. Having said that, Lemaisa, they never he never did give the order. And Hitler needed Romania too much, and he respected Antonesco uh, enough that he didn't invade the country. I remember there was a German army unit near Bucharest, ready at a moment's notice to, to implement the final solution. In other words, they had a whole group there from Eichmann or whatever. The minute they get the green light, they'll set up the trains and start sending the Jews out. But they never got the green light. And remember, I repeat, Hitler needed the oil there desperately, so he didn't want to mess with that. And therefore, it's Lemaisa, Lemaisa, the Jews of Romania, in the heart of Romania, were untouched. They survived the war, which is why so many Romanian Jews survived the war. Now, if you're in Transylvania, it's freaky. If you were in the Chalik, of the finger that was given to Hungary, then you're not under Antonescu, you're under Hungary. Therefore, you were occupied by the Germans, and you were killed. And this included the Frumas of the Frum. Um, as I said, Sotmer, Kleisenberg, 
or they uh, all these uh, famous uh, uh, from communities were liquidated, as you know. I mean, the Sam Rebbe got out on the train, but you know, the others didn't get out. I don't need to tell you the Kloisenberg Rebbe had to go survive the war, barely survived. So it's weird because if you look at this map, you'll see that if you lived, for example, in Satmar, you're screwed. If you lived a few miles to the south, or maybe even a few miles to the north, then you were safe. You were under Antonescu, you were under Romania. Now, no, who's to know that? You know what I mean? If the Jews knew that, I guess they would have run away. Who's to know that? But that's what happened. And so you end up, now I'm going back to the author of this book, which is this fascinating. The author says like this, I just spend 15 pages, you know, dumping on the Jews of Romania in terms of their Yiddishkeit and their halachic inconsistencies and non-performance and, and hypocrisies and all the rest of it. But then he says, If we calculate the number of dead from Romania in the war, so in most of, of, of Romania, 90% survived. Not including those horrible places I mentioned at the beginning. But at the same time that these Jews survived, especially Bulgaria, but the from Jews, Sigit, Satmar, Munkach, Ukiyotzmehen, Yehudim Shayu, Krum Tzadikim Chasidim, Yireim Ushleim, Ukadosh Elyon, right? But by contrast, the Jews in the Hungarian part that was given to Hitler, in the Hungarian part of Romania, the finger that was that Hitler gave to Hungary, therefore fell under Hitler, which included the religious elite, the super frumies, as he says, Yireim Shleim Ukadosh Elyon, Nergu Katishim Achuzimen Alkesh Hashem. 90% was a, were killed. So, so no, let's put it this way. This is against the, what I call the Rabbi Victor Miller uh, thesis, you know. Oh, the, the, the people got killed were the, were the non-from, see? And, uh, you know, they started in Germany, see? Uh, no, the opposite. The non-from survived, and the from got killed. How do you explain that? Well, uh, then you end up saying, well, you know, they stormed Darche Hashem. So then don't even bring up the subject in the first place. Now, Ilakach, so our author today, who himself was one of these people, and I think he was in the Hungarian part, if I remember correctly, I meaning he was in the finger and he ended up in concentration camps, I believe. Ilakach Omarti Lenafshi, looking now at the end of the Holocaust and seeing that all these people I criticized, 90% of them survived, and all these people I built up and praised, 90% were killed. Mutel Salai Chova. I need to reevaluate, and I have to be to look at the positive side of the Romanian Jews and the Jews in Bucharest in particular who you trashed in the early earlier pages. So in other words, it's not as simple as saying the Orthodox are the good guys and you know, therefore they will be protected from Hitler's. And the non-Orthodox are not the good guys, or I have to refine my terms, but I'm using the words that people use, Orthodox. No, those who, who are halachically observant, who follow the laws of Orthodox Judaism. It's not as simple as that. And there are other factors which may not exactly go 
with the nitty gritty of the Shulchan Aruch, with Shabbos, Kasher, Tars, and Shabbat, all the rest of it, but have to do with essential aspects of what it means to be a Jew. I repeat, essential aspects of what it means to be a Jew. And he starts to list them. And here I'm going to read you two or three pages, because I consider it very, very interesting. Uh, uh, I have to go into Zoom soon, so I'm going to read part of it, and then I'll come back later and do the rest. First of all, he says, when I'm I'm looking, what what it in what ways were the remaining Jews, despite all their halachi issues, how were they superior to us Hungarian Jews? This is Hungarian writing this, and he says, first of all, lo shino They you know, like it says about the Jews in Egypt, they didn't change their names. Which is changing names something the Hungarian Jews did. And we do it in America. But Austria-Hungary, in the old days, in Austria-Hungary, the empire, if a boy was burnt, even a from family, they gave him a Jewish name, like we do often in America. They gave him a Jewish name at the Bris. But with the government, with the authorities, he went to the city hall and gave him a Hungarian name, Shalgai. So you notice his name is Ruvain, but Hungarian says it's Rejo or something like that, you know. Now, uh, you know, Julius or something. Nimso ki mismachim rechov So in other official documents, just like in America, he has another name. His name is Alfred, <laughs> Adolf, whatever. And his Jewish name, Ruvain, they only call him when he's among Jews in Shul and such places. Eitzel Yehudi Bucharest, but when I was in Bucharest, which I repeat was the head of the capital of Hungary, I mean of Romania, I keep making that mistake, uh, the capital of Romania, which had 150,000 Jews. It's a big city. I saw it, it's not like that. A Jew has a Jewish name, and that's his name, period. Right? So the guy's name was Ruvain, and that's how he goes around and signs all of his documents. And he wasn't ashamed to go by his Jewish name, even among Gentile society. But Mo Reisi, I myself saw when I visited Bucharest, which is a city criticized, Bishteros Victoria, on Victoria Boulevard, which was like the main street, like a Times Square or something, Bucharest, Mul Armana Malkusi, across the street from the Royal Palace, so it's a fancy, schmancy neighborhood, big and fancy department stores, giant department stores with neon lights, electric lights, flashing the name, Moshe Chaim Kahana. So in other words, they didn't do like we do in America, which is, you know, every guy in Hollywood, what's his real name? You know, what was Kirk Douglas' real name? You know what I mean? What was this guy's real name? And even in the from world, let's, you know, plenty do this in America, right? No, he's, you know, your name is, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Chaim, and your English name is Justin or something like that. You know what I mean? Everybody does that. When I say everybody, not everybody. But he's, this guy who survived the Holocaust, he's saying, that's something that they had over us. Maybe Shabbos didn't keep the same way they did, but Jewish pride, Loshina Vashmam, the Romanians had us, had us beaten. I'll do another one. Um, Shloshinosfosam. They didn't change their language. Elokulim Dibrusfasim be Yiddish. All the remaining Jews I came across all talk Yiddish. Afilachinoshim, even the most non from, but among Jews they all talk Yiddish. Fiaf Pamlo all Daitam, and it would never occur to them. 
in, in other words, the most modern reform shul, the most super left-wing shul in, in Romania, would never imagine you should dominate in Romanian. Whereas in Hungary, the reform, the neologue, they wouldn't have all the davening Hungarian. But Hungary, in Hungary, there were many from Jews, Shomri Torah Mitzvahs, Shedibro Hungarian, Hungaris, Benol and Benatsum, I feel basic Nessus. They were Hungarian. And I, I mean, you, I don't know how old you are. I know <laughs> plenty of Hungarian Jews in bar parks, such places. And I won't say they don't know Yiddish because they do know Yiddish. But in Hungary, there were plenty of Jews. This is interesting. I'm talking about 100 years ago, 120, 30 years ago, who didn't know Yiddish. In the same way that my listeners, you know, you don't know Yiddish, uh, you know English. Um, I mean, those who know, no. But you know what I'm saying. An American grow up and go to a day school and all the rest of it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's all English. Uh, and he considers that. He carried the notion to Konyas. I knew from women in Hungary. Shishok has been Shivas. They were from women. They send their kids to Yeshivas. Chavshep had Nachris. They were Shetel. Habayis had Hoya Migdash Ma'ad Bimlova Mu'an. Their house was a from headquarters. It really was. Falam Rodzot. Lo Yadula Dabri Yiddish El Hungarian. Hungaris. Now, again, to us in America today, what's the big deal? Yiddish is dead. Right? Agreed. Yiddish is dead. I mean, I know Yiddish, but, you know, my kids don't. Yiddish is dead. And you can be 100% from Jew in English. And what's your issue? Uh, the art scroll is uh, flourishing on the English, not on the Yiddish. But if you have that sensitivity that he has, it's just very interesting to me, and it should be interesting to you. He's identifying this is Loshina Esposam, which in Egypt they kept up, but we don't keep up. Okay? Now, uh, I have to take a break here for a minute. <clears throat> okay, now, it will get back to this. Had to do something with my show. Uh... So that's one of uh, two uh, virtues that he assigns to remaining Jews. I'm not finished. Then he has another. Each one of these he labels as a paragraph. Gimel. Lo ola af pamal daitos yudu romani lis bayesh biaduso lishtada lechakas as a goyim. He said, you didn't find, as you did find in Hungary, uh, no desire to imitate the uh, European culture of the country they were in, uh, which he which he sees um, as a, as a, um, what do you call it? Uh, 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 something that's, that's unJewish. The Jew in Romania that I encountered was always very proud of his Jewishness, even if he didn't keep it, you know. Uh, and he considered himself on a much higher educational and spiritual plane than the, the people he encountered. Uh, and because the Jews had a sense of superiority, so therefore he said, you didn't have mixed marriages over there, much less than in Hungary. Okay? Uh, because in Hungary, the Jew felt inferior, therefore he's marrying up. Uh, you didn't have You didn't have large numbers of assimilated Jews. Now, when he says assimilated, listen closely. There's a difference between a Jew who's very Jewish, but it's not Shomer Mitzvah, versus a Jew who wants to assimilate and drop his Jewishness and be like the other culture. So in Hungary, there were tons of those. And by the way, that's true. The number of Jews in Hungary who converted were in the hundreds of thousands. It was, it's crazy. Uh, but not in Romania. Right? You found in, in Romania some more religious, some less, 
identify people that abandoned Judaism, and went to another religion, very rarely, one in 10,000. Here's another one. So in each one of these cases, he's comparing, and I repeat, this is a from Rav over here, he's comparing uh, the Hungarian Jews to Romanian Jews now to the disadvantage of the Hungarian Jews. Midas Avis Yisrael, he said, in Romania, he found that the Avis Yisrael out there was uh, was much more pronounced to help a fellow Yid, was much more pronounced in Romania and Hungary. Zechruni should be karti lefni pros melchom rishona Budapest, beer is Hungary. I said, I remember when I was a young rabbi, before the First World War, I once visited Budapest, Urechov, Harashi, Andrashi, and I was on the New York Times, the Times Square of uh, of uh, Budapest, Andrashi, so that's very famous. I was there. So that's the number one fashionable place. All the fashionable stores. And I was looking for an address. And I was young at the time. So I was dressed very spiffy. Now, he means <laughs> spiffy by Pressburg Yeshiva standards. So in other words, you can tell he was orthodox. He had a beard and all that. But everything was very neat and very clean. And, you know, not a speck. So he didn't look like a beggar. So that's that. So he went into a department store or something on Andrashi in, in, in um, Budapest, run by a non from Jew. I was trying to find a certain street. What a bummer. The owner was a non from, a, a, a assimilationist Jew who's trying to hide his Jewishness to the degree possible. And he immediately, the owner of the apartment store ran over to me, get out of here. And he said, you have nothing to do in my store. There's nothing here for you. I tried to explain I'm not a schnorrer. And I'm not looking for a handout. I'm just asking for information to find a place. He gave me the bums rush. Because right? I look Jewish. And it would hurt his image with his non-Jewish customers. That's how ashamed he was of being Jewish. Over Ms. Bershonim. Now, let's fast forward, he says, 20 years. Galgal Historias to Vixas, Vanibanems of Bucharest. And here I am 20 years later, not in Budapest, but in Bucharest, in the capital of Romania. Nichnas Lachanus Gadolva Elegantis. Again, I walked into a big fancy department store, fancy schmancy, for the same reason the sign exhibits missing. I was looking for an address. Ayala Kupo Yashav Yehudim Avogar Gilarosh. The owner was there without a yarmulke. In other words, an I'm from Jew, as we would say. Or at least, let me put it this way. Everything he's talking about today is uh, problematizing the term from. But I'll get to that if I remember at the end of my remarks. But a Jew is sitting there, Begila Rosh, without a yarmulke. Sharosi, as soon as he saw me, and I came and looked like a rabbi, he says, Balakrasi he came to me with a smiling face. Shalom Aleichem. He asked me in Yiddish, how can I help you? Right, uh, when I told him I'm looking for an address, he immediately said to his wife, "Sara Rivka, Tipsy is Yada Kupa Ani Mitzvah." So this non-from guy who's sitting there, who's not a Shemar Shabbos, who doesn't keep anything, he immediately told his wife, who was you know the other balabust of the store. It was a big fancy store. He says, "Sara Rivka, take my place by the cash register. I got to do a mitzvah." That's what he said in Yiddish. 
He grabbed me under my arm, in other words, in a very nice way, like you accompany a chassan to a chuppah. And he took me to the place, and he said, door to door. He didn't just show me from afar. He took me to the door that I needed. So what do you call that? What do you call that? So I'll give you another example. There are two words in Romanian for a Jew, a polite term and a put-down term. In Romanian, if you call somebody a Hebrew, in many countries like that, that's a that's a polite term. But if you call somebody a Judan, it's like call him a kite, you know, call him a bad name, uh, like N-word. I remember I was once on the uh, uh, bus, what, what do you call it, the, uh, uh, the subway train, in, or the equivalent of that, in uh, Bucharest, in Romania. And remember, this was a rabbi, he looked like a rabbi. The, 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 the subway train was full. I didn't know anybody. And I'm sitting on the seat, and across from me, you know, across the aisle, was a Romanian, who was all drunk, who is he started making fun of me, start cursing me and giving me names. You know, if this has happened to anybody, if you ever been to Subway in Baltimore, Maryland, or New York, or anything like that, I didn't say nothing back, because I saw he's a guy shaker, and then he got up and started pulling my beard, he started calling me a kike. Uh, now the the, the 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 train is full of people. Nobody did anything. But A teenager jumped up and punched the guy. Decked him. He really socked it to him and kicked him. knocked him to the floor and really tore into him. A Jewish boy. All hell broke loose. The train stopped. Showed Romanian police got on the train and arrested the Jewish guy. The the boy. For punching out the drunk. Meanwhile, the other Romanians on the thing start punching the boy. I looked as they took him away, this teenager, and he was all bloody. And as the police took him out and were punching him, he screamed, I'll give up my life for Jewish honor. Right? No, I don't care if you kill me. I'll always fight for Jewish honor. It's like a Jabotinsky type guy. That's what they were. The Betar was like this. You understand? Now again, he's not from. But what had he defined from? Why do you say he's not from? You understand? He's standing for a year to defend the rabbi by being pulled by the beard. Now, next, Yehudim Ramanim b'derech klam makpin biyoser became his kibbut of aim. The remaining Jews cared more about kibbut of aim, even if they expressed it in weird ways. So they were better in Kibbut Abeim in Romania than we were in Hungary, even if it's talking about after their death. Mikan's resource of professors became misavails. That's why one thing that the Romania are into at the expense of everything else is Avelis. You understand? And he made fun of them before because they do all kinds of things for Avelis purposes um, that, uh, you know, they violate the din, but he'll... Uh, but they, they mean well, you know. They consider it a way to keep it for the parents. Yehudi Romania, I feel a millionaire doctor professor. The biggest Romanian, even a millionaire, 
If he is sitting, if he if he lost a father or mother, this Jew, it could be a professor, will go twice a day to Shul, Ashmar Zabaka Be'erev, Bashar Bashalik, no matter how hot it is, how cold it is, Astras Kilometrium, even if it's miles and miles away, in Mechonisal Beisa Knesset, Afil Biyama Shabbos, he will drive to Shul on Shabbos, doggone it to say Kaddish, Bemeshach 11 months, Bavachik Kaddish Acher. So in their way, now again, from the Hungarian perspective, how can you, you're actually, you know, from the Halachic discourse, you know, I guess, you know, you're actually disgracing your father by being Mechal Shabbos. They don't understand that court, that discourse. You see, they're coming from a different discourse. I care about my father. I want to say Kaddish. Here's another one. Kimat kol Yehudi Romani kosher l'tzadik shlo. Every Romanian Jew I met had a Rebbe. Who lo chosid b'muvan amila Polani Hungaria. It's not a chosid Rebbe relationship like I was used to in Hungary and Poland. Ve'ne mishtal aleches bikmas l'tzadik became mitzvah Torah. You don't see, as I told you before, that he looks as a Rebbe as someone who's a role model that you want to imitate in, in Torah and mitzvahs. But the Romanian Jew would get big respect for any Rav, no matter what a jerk he was, called and his Rebbe, Befrat. So he'll go and do anything for the Rebbe. He's not ashamed if a Rebbe walks in, like they are in Hungary, you know, the guy shouldn't see a Rebbe walk in. And he considers it a privilege to do a favor for Talmud Chacham, which is not the attitude he said we had in Hungary. Next, a Yehudi or Romani, Hachiloni Vaposha Biyoser, any Romanian Jew, even the most secular, right, even the most detached from Judaism, Muchan Limser is now Shalaman Mitzvah Pedin Shvuyim, will pull out all the stops to help another Jew for Pedin Shvuyim, if he's arrested or whatever. And if you're talking about a from Jew, if, if if a Romanian Jew, no matter how unfrom, he sees a from Jew getting in trouble, he will pull out all the stops to help him. In any town in Romania before the Second World War, you can be sure that there was always one or two Jews. Who made it their business to have good personal relations to buddy up with the uh, the government leader or the army commander Roshair, the mayor, Shovet Beis Amishwit, the judge, Mefaket Lishkasagis, the draft board, Mefaket Amishra, the cops. In other words, they made it their business to be friends with him, so that if it ever needs a help, in Azara, said if any Jew ever gets in trouble, needs help, you immediately turn to these guys who have their uh, the connections with the authorities, and then went to Kapeni for it. So again, how do you define from? Is it somebody who's Machman on Borer? You understand? Is someone who's Machman on on um, on, uh, on the, the Hawachos? Or what about this? Simply, who Adini Nefesh? He said, I spoke to many Jews, fine Yidin, He's writing this after the Holocaust. He says, I knew many Jews who went through labor camps and junk like this under the Nazis who were from Yidin. What he's coming over here is that in Hungary, 
in 41, 42, and 43, they didn't send, they did not send the Jews to uh, the concentration gas chambers, but many Jews were forced to do the forced labor. You see, for an army and stuff like that. So they, so uh, it was very bad. And they were doing the forced labor. And therefore they found themselves under a, a regime. It's like a prison camp, sort of. It's a forced labor. And, um, uh, but they were arrested. You had to do it. Now, they didn't shoot you, but it was very harsh. And they just rounded up lots and lots of Jews, including from observant Jews. And the observant Jews had a double hard. First of all, they're Jewish, so they're going to be you know, punished for that. And second, because they're from, they don't want to eat trave. They try to not to work on Saturdays. And the guards and the people in charge you know, uh, persecute for that. They're going to always ask for a minion for chakras and, and, and mincha, you know. And the authority, I mean, this is the Holocaust now. You're talking about, you know, these uh, work camps, the, the, the Hungarian officers and officials, they don't want to hear that. But Machnes of Mekobel, and the way the system used to work, and sometimes the Romanians also put, uh, he said what he's describing, the forced labor, took place in Hungary and in Romania. And it did. Now I want to repeat, I'm not talking about where they killed people, and you may have relatives that went through this, that they had to do these work gangs, and it was hard, but they survived. So the way the system used to work was they pick like one kapo or something like this, one Jew. It's like, it's like you be the foreman. You physically don't have to work, but you better make sure the others do. And if the work isn't met every day, it's like Paro and the and the Shodrim, then you'll you'll be punished. And I heard from a lot of from a Yidin that went through this system, that you know the, the whoever the Jew was who was the foreman appointed by the Goyim, it was a Hungarian the Hungarian non from Jew who agreed to be the capo for the work gangs, he treated the from Jews worse than the Goyim treated them. Then the opposite. Even though he wasn't from, he would go out of his way, they said, to try to get them extra something, the ones that were religious. It was their father. Meaning he tried to help them. And the author of this book, who's writing, says that in my community, I spoke after the Holocaust with the Shaykhet. And he ended up in Romania in Yasi, in a town. And the kapo, the foreman, the Jewish guy, who was not from at all, that the Germans, or, or I, I said it wrong, that the Romanians put in charge of the work gang, this guy every Saturday would round up all the frummies. I repeat, he would get all the ochli kosher, get all the frummies. And it would say like this, you guys have to go and do work in the forest, chopping down the trees, knowing full well that they're not going to do it. So basically, it's a certain way to get them out of work. And it was like this, I'm sending you out to do a work detail out in the forest, um, knowing that, you know, he's giving him Shabbos off. And he would say, when you daven, keep me in mind. 
So he's trying to say like this. The the the, the non from was a huge difference between the Hungarians and the Romanians to the advantage of the Romanians. Hodos Atunaselo, Shamar Bishokham Shu in Romania. Thanks to these characteristics, uh ethnic characteristics of the Romanian Jews, so he says, I attribute, I repeat, this guy's a survivor from the war. I attribute the greater energy and therefore success of the Romanian Jewish leadership superior to the Hungarian Jewish leadership vis-a-vis saving the Jews from the Holocaust. In Romania, they had a tzlocha. In Hungary, they did not have a tzlocha. The leadership, and not, not the from, from and not from, the leadership of Romanian Jews was had a stronger sense of Jewish identity, right? And therefore they fought much more passionately and energetically than the Hungarian Jewish leadership did, sadly. This was not true of the leadership of Hungarian Jewry in Budapest and so forth. Most of them were extremely assimilated. Again, it's not, you have to be mechalic. Assimilated versus non from. In Hungary, the leadership was mostly assimilated. This very far from Jewish values. And then when the Holocaust hit, they worried about saving themselves, not saving the masses. They made a Kessner train. And on the Kessner train was hundreds of Jews. Remember, Hungary had a half a million. Hundreds of Jews. Wealthy. Yachsonim, those who are well connected. And with that, by saving themselves, they were willing to put up with the destruction of Meos Alpha Yehudah Machzah Notice they saved themselves, but they didn't save the Jews, as they, and they didn't fight to save the Jews from the Hungarian Jews from being sent to Auschwitz, which happened. It's not the right way. Now, um, which I regard as a very interesting uh, comment. So I conclude today, I've gone long enough, by uh, saying if you're interested in the subject, go read up on Hungary, um, uh, Hungary and the Holocaust, but more important, Romania and the Holocaust. And uh, this Rabbi Shaffron wrote his memoirs. I forget what it's called. It was a white book. I saw it years ago in Hebrew College. And it's true, these guys went and they argued with Antonesco and all the others, and he took it from them. Uh, and they made the case, and they weren't wrong. They said, listen, uh, Germany's not going to win the war. Romania is going to be on the losing side. You know what that means. And in the end, uh, the Romanian Jews, I would say, were saved because Antonesco, under the constant pressure from these guys, right, uh, kept calling his attention to this. Uh, it's true that the Roosevelt administration helped partially in this. This is uh, another topic. This is where Morgenthau and all these guys came and helped in Romania. It did help. Uh, that part is true. And it's also true that the Russian army busted in early. I think the Russians, what happened was Antonescu was overthrown in August of 44, and the Red Army busted in right after that. So relatively early, Romania was liberated from the, uh, uh, by, the by the Russians. Uh, the Armenians were screwed by being under Stalin, but as far as the Jews considered, they were saved. And, they, and, 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 and that's a big deal. Um, Hungary, the Hungarian Jews had a very different uh, uh, turnout. Now, uh, 
What's interesting is here we're Yom Atzmut and Israel and all that stuff, and you have all these soldiers that died for Israel and things like this. What th- what this uh, rabbi raises is something to me very fascinating, and that is like this: define the word from. From is, is is from German. From from is a uh, pious. So define pious. So usually, uh, the way we're taught, pious is defined on halachic niceties. If I keep uh, if I'm makbed on uh, you know thirty eight of the malachas, but I'm not so makbed on thirty ninth malacha, you're more from than I am. See, if uh, if I uh, don't have this chumr and kashras. And you have this because you're more from than I'm. You're defining it based on halachic points. Uh, that's the rabbinical system. You understand? It's a halachic business. But what this guy's saying is like this. It's not so pushed, right? Sometimes from is defined in other ways, or it may be. And he was convinced that in those regards, like he said before, you know, willing to fight for another Jew and all that kind of stuff, uh, then they're from. It's a different definition of from. Uh, and it is grounded in Jewish sources. The only thing is, in modern times, we we are all victims of modernity in the way the Jewish polity has fractionated in the last couple of centuries, as I mentioned before. Uh, but anyway, I thought that's an interesting twist on uh, Romanian Jewry. And again, I thank the class coach. I repeat, we don't have hardly any uh, responses coming after one more. And um, I hope people will step forward. And with that, I wish you all a good day. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.